Welcome to Santa Barbara Talks with Josh Molina. And I feel like this is a bit of a coup for me this week. I'm very lucky to be in the presence of one of Santa Barbara's most respected and well-known developers who is very involved with what is going on with downtown, both with his projects as well as being a visionary, serving on a very important committee, looking at the future of State Street. So I want to welcome you, Peter Lewis, to the show. How are you doing today? Good morning. I'm great. Thank you. Nice, nice to be with you, Josh. Yeah, thank you, Peter. I, 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 I'm so happy that you uh, agreed to have a conversation about State Street and housing and development. And so let's dive right in and let's talk about a project I've written about, which is your project on the 400 block of State Street. I believe it's something like 86 units, apartment units uh, that had been proposed. This is behind the Staples building on the parking lot. And it has, in my, my reporting, gotten pretty good feedback, pretty positive feedback is sort of a, a project that really tries to address the important need for affordable housing to be able to do it downtown where people perhaps maybe will have fewer cars, uh, will be able to shop downtown, bring a little bit of vibrancy. Um, but I want to talk to you, uh, Peter, talk to me about the project and, and, and what it is, why it's important for, for downtown and, and what's the status? Where is it at? So, yeah, it's, um, it's actually 79 uh, units with three um, small units on the ground floor that are commercial, that could be um, used as live work, they could be little hotel units, I suppose or just little boutiques. So it's, it's, it's a uh, roughly 80 unit project. Um, and you're correct, it's actually situated right at the parking lot behind the old Staples building between uh, what was the Staples and Reed's Appliance. Yeah. So it's a, it is a, a perfect site for redevelopment because it's an underutilized piece of land that um, is just a, surface parking lot, not servicing anything other than parked cars. So um, we basically are building a podium there. We'll still have surface parking in that, uh, on that land, but build a podium and then uh, three floors above that podium that are for um, residential units. And it's a, it was a fun design to work with. I worked with Brian Cornell on it and we, it's kind of a classic um, apartment building in the sense it's a courtyard uh, design where it's essentially a big U and um, therefore you can have units on the interior courtyard and units on the exterior of the building that will um, take advantage of the urban views that one gets from downtown and um, so it it really is a, a great site, a really fun project. It's got, um, we're creating a nice little paseo between this building and the back of the staples so that um, hopefully that'll uh, invigorate kind of a pedestrian activity. That's really the hope with those ground floor units is that that's kind of energizes that ground um, uh, paseo. Um, but I am, in the permitting process right now, it's been fully entitled for over a year. 
And uh, we've been through one round uh, at the building department. We'll resubmitting for a second round this next week, uh, possibly the week after. Hoping to have permits in hand by May and um, start construction um, shortly thereafter. And, um, you know, it's, it's, I've built a couple apartment buildings in the last uh, six years downtown. And uh, this would be the third uh, rental, rental project. And there's um, an extremely high need for these units. And not just in the close proximity to downtown, but frankly, anywhere in, in the, what I would call the um, core of Santa Barbara, really the, the east side to the west side, all the way up towards uh, La Cumbra. So the core of the downtown is in great need for housing. The downtown is particularly in great need and ironically the least dense area, which is, which is really kind of fascinating. If you think about it from an urban development standpoint, it's as if we avoided um, that. It wasn't by design, it's just the way that it's um, happened over time and in great part, I think, because of the history of retail dominating, retails and cars dominating the design um, and practically speaking over the over the decades. Yeah, it, um, I think uh, it's it's the largest apartment project that uh, you've done and certainly the, the one the first super big one on this part of State Street, of course, Upper State Street. Um, I, I don't know how big the mark is, but that that one, you know, was pretty significant as well. Um, who's going to live there? One, um, and what I mean by that is, <clears throat> how big are they? What are the sizes? Are these, you know, the cliched, uh, you know, millennial downtown worker who doesn't like a car? Uh, who, who who are these units going to appeal to? And then if you mention about 79, 80 units, how many parking spaces uh, will be on site? And can you talk to me a little bit about that whole new conversation that, you know, building for people, not cars, and how this project fits into that? So let's see if I can remember all these questions. So, <laughs> um, so it was, it has, um, uh, 89 parking spaces on the project. Some of those are can are designated for the commercial activity that's going to occur there because it is mixed use, right? So there's two commercial buildings. So for the residential um, component, there's 60 dedicated to the 78 residential units. So um, the project will need to attract, I'll need to find tenants that either are prepared to go rent spaces if they have a car offsite. And there fortunately is some of that uh, near this, this um, building. But um, I intend to find people that don't have cars on many of these studios. So about half the project are studios that range from 500 to um, 550 square feet. The other half are um, one bedrooms and two bedrooms. The biggest is only about a thousand square feet. The average size of these units is 650 square feet. So it is really designed for um, young professionals 
that uh, and or people um, they could be more um, uh, later in life empty nesters that also don't want a lot of space and don't have um, the need for tons of storage space etc so they're efficient units um, and um, that is intentionally done because the um, challenge always in this town is to develop where you can finish with a product that is um, rentable and and makes the whole project feasible economically and the bigger the units are of course the more you're going to have to ask for rent and um, ultimately this really is made for people that are making the equivalent of a uh, 60,000 to, you know, 150,000 um, downtown young professionals. Um, I have a pretty good handle on that because the most recent project I finished was 29 units. I've had, I finished that um, just under four years ago. So I've been tracking that, um, that project carefully and the, the depth of the need for these, for that demographic is extreme yeah. and um, it's not being served and it doesn't, you know, it's frightening, frankly, Josh. I mean, I've been in this town since 82. I've never seen the market like this. It's always been tough from the day I came in 1982 and rented a hotel room in this, what was then called the Schooner Inn. Now it's called the Hotel Santa Barbara, yeah. but um, it's, it's, Pretty crazy. The last last unit I actually had come vacant had thirty highly qualified people <clears throat> looking for a studio. Wow! Yeah. And um, it's it's pretty um, it's it's pretty crazy. And so your parking is uh, going to be on on the ground. You're not doing one of those stack parkers that you see no, that coming like, up a lot. Mm -hmm. Well, we do have stackers. They're not. Oh, there are two, there are two, um, st two level stackers. Uh, I have not installed one of those systems, so um, it'll it'll be a um, first time for me. You know, the, it's not we're not inventing the wheel on this. The Europeans have been doing it for decades. Yeah. Um, so there are some projects, and and there is some um, challenges in making sure that it's designed right and the right the right uh, vendors use. Uh, I also intend to be a little experimental. I'm gonna try um, either zip cars or possibly um, cars that will be owned by the, um, the company uh, the, you know, that, that um, operates the, the building and just for um, hourly hire or daily hire by the tenant. So I'm gonna experiment with that just to see if I can't get um, the need for the occasional car addressed for tenants and still encourage them not to have a car. Yeah. Um, so um, I, I, I know from my current project, it's not fully parked. So I do know that you can, there's many people out there that um, intentionally don't have a car. Yeah. And, um, the closer you are to services and um, work, the easier it is to jettison the car. Yeah, and we're not going to go too far off on this topic, but 
you know, gas prices are outrageous right now. And if you're somebody who's uh, wants to live downtown and knowing that's going to be a significant investment in your income, those are the kind of things you start cutting the corners with. Well, maybe I can go without a car for a little while because of how expensive it is. Uh, let's, let's talk about the bigger moment in time, um, Peter. If somebody were in a time capsule or, you know, if they grew up here in, in Santa Barbara and they moved and then they just plopped down, came back into town today, the whole conversation around State Street and the look of downtown would blow their minds, okay? Things look so much different. And, and much of that was forced because of the pandemic. We were forced to figure out something to help the restaurants. And, and before that, retail was struggling. Retail still struggling a little bit. And you know, so a lot of these businesses got loans and, you know, from the government and they were able to survive, but uh, it's, it's, they're getting grants. It's a whole like fluid and changing situation and restaurants that were there are gone. New ones are popping up and they're gone. And we have this State Street promenade, okay? The State Street, it's just, it looks so bizarre. I mean, you're, for, for me, I grew up here. You're so used to cruising, seeing the cars, driving down, making a turn, maybe parking in the mall and then going downtown. And now just people on bikes and walking and dogs and people eating and skateboarders and people on e-bikes and it's just sort of this mishmash there's all these people there now right and then we have the larger conversation about housing and, and what's going to happen we just had a mayor's race and it always comes up in terms of politics and who's going to do what we have homelessness you know and that's controversial and overall homelessness is down i guess from the homeless counts however Many of the property owners, many of the businesses say it doesn't feel down on State Street, that this is contributing to what we're seeing with some of the turnover in storefronts. So it's a very complex situation. And people are looking at your project. Your housing is going to be one of the first ones down there that people can say it works or they're going to learn from that and, and adjust. You are an expert on all this stuff, right? Can you talk about the moment in time in Santa Barbara from your perspective and how important is it that your project is successful and that it, 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 it invites people in who are going to do what you envision, which is not have cars and be downtown. Um, what's, what's your perspective right now of Santa Barbara at this point in time? Is this a defining moment? What's your take? Well, I think, I think downtown has been transitioning now for about a decade, really since the last recession, it never got its foothold um, and, and um, reasserted itself. So that, that rough period and decline, I'll, I'll call it a kind of a slow decline, really all coincides with a lot of urban stress that's, that you see everywhere you go, um, particularly with any urban um, centers that may have had too much retail to begin with. And that, that essentially, in my view, has been the case in Santa Barbara for some time. So unfortunately, vacant storefronts beget more vacant storefronts. It's a, you know, society moves in waves. Retailers want company. They don't want abandoned neighbors. So it's a self-fulfilling prophecy at some point. And I think today's 
reflects that um, slow decline of and stress of retail. So, you know, the Amazon has taken a 15% market share retail dollars roughly uh, over that decade. And um, the department stores have become less competitive. The, the uh, big box and discounters have become more competitive and more ubiquitous. And as a result, you really, um, our downtown is a classic example of a lot of urban centers that are feeling this transition. And um, so we're not unique. We'll, and, however, we, uh, because we have been a little over retailed for the last 15 years, we'll show them the stress in a little bit more of a um, uh, obvious fashion. And you know, all you have to do is go down State Street to count the vacancies at this moment, and they're more than there were during the recession, mm -hmm. uh, 07 08. So we're just we're struggling with that transition. It's going to happen, um, and I think the city planning staff um, understand that. I I, th I think they are not. Um, I think they think a lot like I do that they have to activate that street. And the way you activate it is you get people to live and work downtown and to shop downtown. So we need to re-engage our local retail community. We need to get more people coming from Montecito and other areas that have been reticent to come to downtown. We need to have interesting local stores downtown that, that um, command our local attention and, um, we, um, if we can get projects like the one I'm doing, uh, more of these, it's gonna bring the bodies and the activity and um, the energy. So, you know, I've been on State Street since 82 in the 400 block when I first moved a company onto that block. And homelessness has always been a, um, a problem on State Street. And, you know, naturally, um, people that are, are indigent are going to be attracted to areas where they think there can be some, um, um, you know, opportunity to get some money from um, panhandling. And also, I mean, if you think about it, if, if you're homeless, you're going to kind of go where there's some activity, right? You're either going to go to a place where there's some activity or you're going to go to a place that um, you can sleep and, and be left alone. So um, traditionally State Street has always been a little bit of a theater and a little bit of a place to, to observe, right? So I think we're currently making progress on the homelessness and we're finding um, ways to get them off the street to find some solutions and some transition housing and um, it's, not for the faint of heart and CityNet has been doing a pretty impressive job. There's a lot of impressive people working on this, um, but it takes a huge commitment economically and time-wise. Um, and, and I think what's happened is that it seems more um, profound of a problem when the, the state of the, of the street itself is, is under stress. So for instance, pre-COVID, when, when there was less pedestrian traffic, one homeless person is gonna have more natural attention when there's 
10 people on the street. If there's 100 people on the street, the one homeless person doesn't necessarily get all the attention. So uh, people have been you know, quick to blame that as the, um, as the problem. I really think that's, that's um, misdirected um, criticism. I mean, the reality is we've always had a pretty strong um, problem there that has not ever been remedied. Um, and currently it seems to me that the people are focused on it in a productive fashion uh, over the last several years in, uh, in the best way over my 40 years here. Um, but I think um, if we can activate our downtown with more, more human activity, and that is not just during the day, but it'll go into the evening too, right? And, and that'll happen if locals are shopping and eating downtown and people are living downtown. Yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, well said. I grew up here and I always felt as though there was homeless and you get sort of get used to it. I'm not a business owner downtown, so I don't deal with what they deal with. But um, I feel as though uh, you can't just blame it on that, you know, as, as an issue as well. You are on the State Street Committee that is looking at long-term long -term decisions and uh, planning and vision for what's going to happen with State Street. I think there's like 13 of you on there and you're, you meet and you talk and, and you sort of have all these discussions. And I think there's a consultant that's been hired and you're going to be looking at all this stuff. What's your take, Peter's take on uh, the, the promenade and the closure, right? And, and the, the 500 block where we have the, sort of the restaurant row and lots of activity there. I guess old Spanish days parade is going to be on Cabrillo this year. There's talk of hol the holiday parade returning maybe to State Street. Some of those festivals, uh, Solstice will be on State Street. So we've had some change. What's your take on the promenade? How do we, how do we make it better? How do we improve it? Well, that's a big question, John. So uh, that's what this committee is really trying to um, study, uh, deliberate, and um, uh, hopefully come up with something that's going to be a, a really good solution long term that's going to solve all the problems retail, um, parades, just community. Um, activization and interest in going there. I mean, we have to, the, the idea really is that it's part of a renovation and um, uh, rejuvenation of our downtown. So parades are part of it. That's part of the culture, right? Arts are part of it. So the committees, um, I think appropriately are pretty open-minded at this time. And interesting, you know, so we want to we want to kind of uh, go into the project eyes wide open. Let's learn what other people have done, what works, what doesn't, where it's a similar urban setting and similar aesthetics, some similar principles and missions as a community. And um, so it's a real work in progress. And uh, I feel that way personally, as, as I've seen um, the promenade uh, uses evolve. 
And you're right. I, I mean, I give the city great credit for doing what they did. They showed a lot of courage and I thought appropriately um, amount of risk taking that this city is really not known for. Yeah. And um, so it showed us that uh, change can be good. Now it can also be needing um, modification, right? So that's the great part of it is we got a big diverse group of people from all walks of life that are going to be um, providing input as to what they feel Santa Barbara needs. But um, um, I think that we haven't hired the consultant yet, but the, we will be in the next several months. Um, I think it'll, it's gonna be a slow, long process of a couple of years figuring out what this, you know, this, the, the size of the um, promenade should be, the length of it, um, how we accommodate parades. So all these things are gonna be studied and, um, and I think uh, allowing the community to give us input on it. But um, it's, it probably is not gonna look much like it looks today because, um, but uh, we, we, you know, it, that experiment is helpful and in a lot of ways. Um, so I think it's positive that we've, that the city did this on an interim basis and um, those experiments are gonna pay forward, I believe. But, um, you know, also I would say, you know, regarding parades, sometimes we wanna make, you gotta be careful about letting any one activity dictate what is the best long-term solution for the city. Um, so sometimes I think we fixate on one piece of history, forgetting that history is transitional. It's evolutional. You know, we don't, um, you want to pay respects to it, but you don't want to be held prisoner to um, history either uh, when, it's a, when it's not appropriate. So, um, so I think we need to all be flexible on trying to envision all right, what are we trying to really accomplish here? Right? And ultimately, we want an inviting, clean, safe, attractive downtown. Mm -hmm. It's that simple. And there's a lot of great examples in this world that um, I think we need to study and see if it's appropriate and see if it feels right um, and, and not be afraid to think differently. And, um, and be a little bit open-minded as to how this uh, is gonna evolve. I mean, if you think about it in the 40 years I've been here, you're right, I've seen a lot of change. You've seen a lot of change. Um, some of it maybe um, didn't, uh, didn't survive the test of time, so to speak. And, that's okay, you know, that's the human condition. And um, we, if you learn from that and you realize what's still standing and still works, then we can expand on that, improve it. And um, uh, hopefully that's what our committee is gonna do. And I think, um, I, think, I think we'll get there. 
Yeah, it's, it looks very different. You know, this is not State Street, but I remember when there was golf and stuff over on uh, Hitchcock. That might have been right around the time you came to town. Uh, you know, but we had that. And, uh, you know, we never can get a bowling alley downtown. And I know that's been talked about. Uh, there's that virtual reality place that had popped up, which I don't even know if it's there anymore. But that was kind of cool, experiential. There's that escape room that's downtown. And so there's lots of different uses. So, you know, the challenge is to sort of plan so that a lot of different types of businesses can be successful, not just the restaurants. You know, the restaurants will say, this is perfect. And that's great if you have a restaurant. But if you're the block off the closure, you know, no one goes there, then you're sort of cut off. Hey, real quick, Peter, I want to ask you about Paseo Nuevo. Um, I, I like Paseo Nuevo. Um, I know everyone says that malls are dying and we lost the two anchor tenants. Um, I like the architecture, I guess I would say. I like the feel, the breezeway, walking through there. Um, I can find places to go in there. Um, it doesn't feel dead to me. It doesn't feel dying to me. Um, and that might be because of the architecture. There are some vacant spaces, but do you envision a whole restart with Paseo Nuevo or is there a savior to it? Um, is there hotels? I mean, I know that's complicated to talk about in a couple minutes on a podcast, but what, what, what do you, what do you think about the ball? So that's an, that's an interesting question. So like I was saying earlier, um, we are over retailed and we do need to uh, repurpose a lot of that activity, including things that you're just, you just mentioned, you know, entertainment, lifestyle uses need to uh, find locations downtown. So that that's all part of activating the downtown. Um, now the mall is, uh, you know, it's a challenge just logistically for a couple of reasons. You have, it's a, you know, it's controlled by the city on the ground leases, right? Then you have multiple owners of the parcels. And um, you know, the Nordstrom's has a separate owner from the Macy's store. So um, I personally think just like I, we were discussing earlier um, this morning was we have too much surplus of retail space. So you gotta repurpose that. Personally, if I were to have all of that land and if it was my project i would probably look to shift it um, into heavily into mixed use with a lot of uh, residential which is a huge investment right i mean that's the problem these ownership doesn't really want to rebuild all of that half a million square feet right so, um, that's a huge undertaking and that's essentially what they're grappling with is they have, um, you know, a challenged retail environment where they can attract and fill it um, at the moment and probably going to be that way for the um, short term. And they got a high cost structure, right? The, the, a lot of the downtown is owned by families that have been there forever. So their cost structure is different than the people that own the Paseo. So as the, the property owners adjust to the new reality of economics, um, the places that are gonna get re-energized first are likely gonna be the ones that are incentivizing tenants or are more motivated 
to attract tenants. So, you know, things happen organically. And um, that's the thing about government. Government is best served if they don't get in the way of organic natural um, redevelopment. Um, and I mean, you can take a look at the funk zone as a, as a really good example of what, how, how things happened in natu naturally in, in development. You get one good little project, it begets another, begets another, right? And all of a sudden there's all this energy and interest. So I think that's gonna happen and is, is happening downtown actually. Um, but it's, um, it takes, it takes, um, you know, the, the, the first project to get underway and then others will come. You look at the 400 block, there's a lot going on down there, right? There's been a lot of housing development and that's going to result in a lot more activity and commercial revitalization. And, um, so the mall, if I were that, if I owned that mall, that's really what I would do. But it's such a huge investment, and I'm not sure the appetite's there for that. I mean, uh, unfortunately, when when properties get challenged like this, you know, it, it's it, there's a tipping point. At some point, you've got to completely reinvent the wheel, or or you can continue to struggle to try to make it pencil. And um, it's interesting, you know, the Macy's is, is trying to now sell some big floor plates of office and they may be successful and because uh, it's a great site and good parking, but um, it's challenging because of uh, just, the, just the nature of the size of it. So Santa Barbara's, going to struggle for until until those repurposing um, occur and um, it's it's not going to be overnight that's for sure but retail is true malls in general if all of the major mall companies are struggling they're all re, they're all repurposing their square footage and and um, we're we'll, we'll not unique yeah, I get a different feeling when I walk through La Cumbra Plaza than Paseo Nuevo. La Cumbra, I feel, is right in there with that national conversation about what are we doing here? <laughs> this is not work, you know. It's there's not a lot there, you know, except for the Macy's uh, building and a couple little places there, uh, game store and etc. Paseo Nuevo, I feel like it's so much potential and opportunity. And of course, they're talking about housing on the other side of the Cooper Plaza, the parking lot. And I agree with your point on the funk zone. My only criticism of the funk zone with not having government sort of leading the way there is the parking. I, I know that there was that parking study and said there's plenty of parking, but I swear, Peter, every time I've ever gone to the funk zone, it's the, the anxiety level and the stress level of finding a parking space. It's just, you know, so I just park far away and walk in, you know, whatever, get a little exercise, but, you know, when you have these places balloon like that, um, it just meets all, it just exceeds all the off street sort of, you know, park or on street and off street parking in that. So, but yeah, Funkstone's a classic example. City ignored it. Property, low property, lower property values. 
people just sort of buying, buying, buying. And then all of a sudden you're like, wow, this is the place to be, you know? So that's a really good case study. Hey, Peter, I want to talk to you a little bit about you uh, and, and your background. We have not talked a lot over the years. Uh, you're not one of those uh, developers, property owners, I think, who has sought the, the public eye, uh, who has been the face of their projects. I did a little, had to do some digging to find out like, what does this person own, you know, and, and you know, that sort of thing. But can you talk a little about yourself and, and your, your background and where you came from and sort of what did you want to be when you were a kid and how did you end up in this profession? So uh, I did, I um, grew up in Indiana and um, went to college in Walla Walla, Washington. So I was looking for a small liberal arts college somewhere on the coast um, and, and near the mountains. Ended up in a um, little school called Whitman College in Walla Walla and um, left there after graduating with a degree in economics and spent a year in Europe backpacking, just um, traveling, traveling to, um, mostly Europe. And uh, after I came back, I brought um, my brother who lives here, Kirk Lewis, um, was building um, some uh, renovating houses at that time. This was 82. And he asked me to come out and he needed a labor for a couple of months. That's how I got here to Santa Barbara. Mm. And um, only came here with the intention of being here as a short, you know, just a visitor. Ended up um, starting a business shortly after arriving, um, really just to make part-time income not as a, um, a view of being a business owner. So I, I never really had that view of myself growing up, but ended up being a lifelong entrepreneur as a result. My partner, uh, Deborah Kielkan and I started a, a little, a little um, leather tie company that we started selling these leather ties at the art show downtown on Cabrillo, uh, down oh. on, the, on Cabrillo. So she, um, she was here studying landscape architecture at UCLA, and I was here helping my brother in construction. We started this little business, and it took off. I, um, I was able to end up selling initially about 100 ties a day, mostly to local little retail shops, right? At that time, retail, uh, every little town had fashion, a fashion store, many of them independent, just one store. Um, but that took off and, and then I saw other opportunities and we got into actually manufacturing clothing uh, shortly, within a year we were making clothing. And um, that business prospered for 15 years or 13 years. And um, it during that time, I, um, I took a lot of our um, profits uh, if we had them and we would invest in real estate. Um, and during that time, we accumulated some real estate. And when we got out of the garment business, we ended up with some sites that were underdeveloped. And that's kind of how we started um, developing uh, real estate. So uh, it, it's kind of interesting. One business provided opportunities to go into another one. I've stayed in, um, in apparel in some um, ways in the sense that I was investing in a couple of companies that did direct mail, which was also at the time in the 90s considered a 
great disruptor, all the catalogs. Oh, yeah. If you think about the 90s, when all of a sudden your mailboxes were full of, of catalogs, right? right? So retail's gone through a lot of shifts and currently feeling the online um, transition and, and competition. But that's, um, I, I just got here by happenstance, really, uh, you know, and, and that story is not as unique um, at all in this town because many people are like that. They arrive here and they try to figure out how to make a living. And before you know it, they start a company or they start a restaurant and it is successful and then they can, um, they can find roots. Um, and I think that's why there's a lot of companies grown here. And unfortunately, not enough of them stick around. There's a lot of successful companies that have not uh, completed their, their um, grounding here and staying here, which is, is unfortunate because I personally think the city needs to do more to encourage that organic entrepreneurship and um, uh, commercial activity and less a concentration on the tourist, which, you know, all great places like Santa Barbara are going to attract visitors, but they are environmentally and structurally not your best foundation for economic stability because they come and flow according to forces outside of the community's control. They're not as stable and they demand tremendous amount of, of services. And those are traditionally low paying uh, jobs. So we end up with kind of an imbalance in my view where we, we don't encourage some of these vibrant companies and they end up leaving as they mature for lower cost communities. So we lose all that energy and vitality, but the one thing that we, we do seem to encourage and, and um, the city is reliant on are these bed taxes and the reliance on hotels. And hotels are, are just really not contributing as much to the economic vitality as say a young um, tech company or you know company like Deckers, think of what they're offering, what they provide to this community. Well, that company started as a sandal maker in, in Carpinteria, yeah. right? That was a tiny little company started in a garage. So if, Fortunately, they've they've maintained roots here, but there's a, I've seen a lot of young companies that have left yeah. um, for lower cost sites, and that's just I just don't think that has to be the case. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those those are all really really good points, and you hear that kind of over and over about how they have to leave for a variety of reasons. Uh, you know, government doesn't support; or it's too expensive. They'll go to other states where it's less expensive and uh, it's a it's a challenge and it's a, an issue for for everyone here in government you own the world market cost plus building yeah so that was one of the one of the properties we bought um my partner and i bought in the 80s um it was a salvation army at that time it was oh. an old security pacific um building if, if you recall the um, bank was not on the corner it was actually 
off, you know, inland of the corner a little bit. And uh, so we rented, the, the parking lot was mostly rented for short-term parking. And um, Salvation Army was in the old bank building. And in 95, I, um, we, we uh, built that uh, site for Stroud's Linen, which was one of the big box um, competitors, a, a Southern California company that uh, ultimately didn't make didn't make a Bed Bath and Beyond, and some other people kind of ended up uh, uh, taking uh, taking their market share. But um, yeah, that was one of the underdeveloped sites that we owned that we had acquired during during our um, uh, clothing manufacturing days. Well, I hope that that store sticks around. I don't know what your long term plans are there, but. Uh... Uh, I love that store. It's there's it's such a like a, eclectic mix of things yeah. in there from the the little crafts and the knickknacks to the food and the, this, the cool stuff that you can just buy that you can't get at any other market really you know or any any store and there's furniture you know it's such a it's a really cool place to to have downtown and I, I'm sure people wander and that's probably why it survived because it's unique. Yeah. And Peter, you mentioned uh, you were economics major. What are your Parent, what did your parents do? So um, my father was a um, had an interesting career. He um, he was a business major and out of college and got a job working for the Dodgers um, in the fifties before they moved to the to L.A. So at that time the um, the baseball industry had got all their players really from the farm system. They didn't get it from universities. No one that was interested in the big leagues went to college. They went into the minor leagues and worked their way up to the majors. So he actually was hired by the Dodgers as a business manager for um, their farm system. Every farm, uh, every team in the system had a business manager. So he, he started in um, Oklahoma and went to Mississippi and ultimately to Virginia before he got out of baseball after about 10 years, I believe it was, um, got offered a job to run a small manufacturing company in Indiana. And that's when he moved um, our family to there to Indiana and um, finished his career uh, manufacturing, a uh, small manufacturing plant of um, making bedspreads and pillows and it was, uh, it was interesting. It was about a 300 person plant, classic union plant in, in the Midwest. Um, it was a well-respected, high quality um, kind of custom manufacturing um, plant that distributed throughout the, the country. And um, like most of the furniture and home furnishing business, all of those have suffered from the foreign competition too um, over the years and uh, has not survived. But, um, and then my mom was um, um, a housewife and took care of uh, six kids that were all within nine years of each other. So we had a, a pretty active bustling household that she was very skilled at, um, at uh, managing. There fights around the kitchen table for the last well, piece. <laughs> Yeah, the, you know, it's funny. Um, I don't, a lot of big families that I know always talk about that. We, we had a buffet style um, dinner count, counter that we would serve ourselves and, all, and 
all ate at a, um, a round table uh, our whole upbringing. And um, so it was, uh, I, would, I would characterize our dinner table as no one was, um, there was always plenty of food in that regard. No one was worried they weren't gonna get enough. Um, but there was ample discussion around that table. My father was a great um, uh, conductor of discussion. So he would make sure that we were discussing something of, of interest or import of the moment. A lot of times it was politics. He was kind of a political junkie. So, um, but it was, we, we always, um, it was always active. That's true. I mean, you know, six, six kids in nine years, there's, there's um, something going on. And you probably know how to defend yourself well uh, as well, you know, if you had brothers and, you know, or sis, just kind of competing for everything. Hey, yeah. um, for those listening, uh, they can't see it, but for those watching, they can see a very distinguished gentleman in the background of your, your uh, camera. Um, and uh, I'm wondering if you could just talk, who is that? Uh, why is that, that picture important to you? So it's, um, it's my paternal grandfather, and uh, he, was, um, he was a banker in New York, uh, president of a savings bank there called Union Dime. And he was president there in the 50s and right up until uh, 62 when he passed. And he was still president of the bank when he passed, actually. Um, the, um, and he, my father, uh, about 20 years after he had passed, the, he got a telephone call from um, a, the bank. They were uh, at that time getting rid of all the portraits of the past presidents, including my grandfather. And they found my father and asked if he wanted the painting. And my father said, sure. So we ended up with this painting that came from a boardroom. He died when I was only two, so I didn't really know him, um, obviously. But uh, he's still, a, uh, you know, I, an important part of my, um, my, uh, you know, my history and my ancestry. And the painting ended up in my, my parents' um, retirement home, which I now own with my siblings on Lake Michigan. But it's a small little cottage that we all cherish greatly. But Pops, that's who my grandfather's called, who was um, hanging in the bedroom of the small cottage uh, when my parents passed, um, my sisters were like, you know, it's time for Pop to find a different home. So <laughs> I was happy to bring him back to California. He's ended up here, ironically, kind of behind my um, chair, not really meaning to be in such a prominent position, but he was, he was a distinguished guy. And as a result, um, he, it's kind of appropriate. It's, I'll tell you one other funny story about him is that, uh, that my father always cherished. He, um, he was very fastidious. You know, he was a banker, really took care of himself and um, very poised. He, had a, he only had uh, one operating or one operable eye. He had a glass eye and, that he lost an eye when he was quite young and wore glasses. But despite him 
being so fastidious, when you met him frequently, the, the lens for the eye that was a glass eye, the lens of those eyeglasses frequently, that particular side frequently was not as clean as the other side. So um, he ironically would, would, um, would end up presenting himself not as impeccable as he thought he was, mostly because he didn't have sight in this one eye. But he was <laughs> apparently a pretty impressive guy. He was a scratch golfer. And if you've ever golfed with, with one eye and, and have a no depth perception, you understand wow. you know, what, how um, unusual that would be. But, yeah. uh, wow, well, that's amazing, you know, to, to, to you know, be, be that successful and have to deal with that sort of issue, you know, and yeah, at that time too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's cool. But I, I can very, I can tell, I can see the lineage, Peter, uh, yeah. you know, you've, he's, he's very distinguished and you're a very classy individual yourself. Um, I want to, I want to wrap up. I really appreciate your time and uh, you willing to share a little bit of your wisdom on Santa Barbara, on development, on housing, the future. You're one of the visionaries who's part of this conversation about how to redo, you know, reimagine, redevelop Santa Barbara and uh, do it in a way that tries to please the most amount of people. And uh, you're right there at the forefront. So uh, thank you for taking some time to share uh, information on all of these topics. And good luck with your, your project, which is, you know, going to get built, it looks like, and your other future stuff. So thank you. Well, thanks for having me, Josh. We really enjoyed chatting with you and, and look forward to um, seeing how our community responds in a very productive fashion, hopefully. And, um, you know, it's an interesting time, but it's, it's a great time, really, because change can be so, so, so rewarding. And um, let's, let's hope that's, that's the case for us. Yes, definitely. Thanks a lot, Peter. Have a great day. You too. Take care.